And the church said? Amen. If you can't say amen after a song like that, you're, you need a new battery or something, right? Amen. I am telling you, you've, we are so blessed. Amen. We are so blessed. The singing is just so powerful. It's so important for us to do that. And I just... You know, some, some weeks, and I know Dean's going to say amen to this, some weeks I would just simply say, you know, let's just forego the preaching and do the singing. <laughs> and I would say amen that, to that as well, and especially when you sound like you do today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. We sing praises to you, Father. We love you so much. We've communed together and with you today, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for what, what you did for us and your love for us. And Jesus, we just we can't praise you enough for being obedient to your Father, being willing to die in our place. Save us from our sins. We believe in you, Father. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And through that, Father, we accept the forgiveness that comes through all of that. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for now living in us. Guide us and shape us and direct us, and may we listen closely to what it is that you would have for our lives. Father, when we sing songs of praises to you, we sing from our hearts. And I thank you, Father, for the talent that you've given, but Everyone plays a role. Everyone has a song. And I thank you for my church family. Truly, I am blessed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I got teared up there a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> kind of reminds me of yesterday. Don and I, uh, you know, I, don't, I do not promote movies from the pulpit, but I'm going to promote one. The Overcomer. If you haven't seen the movie, take your family, take your family, and watch it. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because it is just filled with God's Word. And number two, it will touch you if you let it. And guys... You know, I'm not a big-time crier. I will cry when things touch me, and I won't get you. But support it, and the reason why I say support it is because we need more of that in our world. If you can complain about all the other movies and even go and watch some of them, can you not at least support this that tells a Hollywood that is filled with filth that there's a place for Jesus? If you can't go, or even if you've been, I would encourage you to buy someone a ticket that would go. Five bucks at the mall, I think. It's well worth it. All right, today's message. Stay on track. I got to do that today, don't I? <sighs> a man and his wife had just moved to this big city. And coming home from work on his first day as he's driving down the highway... He gets a cell phone call from his wife. George, sweetheart, I just wanted to call you and tell you I loved you and be extra careful. 
extra careful. She said, I just heard on the radio that some nut got off on the on-ramp and is now driving the wrong way down Highway 280. Oh, it's worse than that, George said. I'm driving home on 280. And it's not just one car, it's hundreds of cars. <laughs> we get kind of turned around, don't we? You ever been that way? When I grew up, back, it tells my age, but Daniel Boone was pretty, pretty big time on TV, and we used to love to watch him and learn about him. This is Chester Harding was painting a portrait of Daniel Boone back in 1820. I'm not that old, but in 1820, when Boone was nearly 86 years of age, or I look good for my age, right? Anyway... Uh, he was 86 years of, uh, of age, and he asked Boone, he said, Have you ever been lost on any of your journeys in life? To which Boone replied, No. No, I, I can't ever say I was lost, but I was mightily bewildered once for three days. <laughs> Even Christians can become much like Daniel Boone. We wander a little bit, but we're covered by God and His wonderful grace and His beauty and His love. But we can also become mightily bewildered in our lives at times. Sometimes it's by circumstances that come on us, not what we wish or desire. It may be because of what we've done or haven't done, but it could be just the pain of life and the hurt and the things that we might go through as people because things just happen. And in this process, I would say most people who stray away from God, they're not hostile, hello, they're not hostile toward perhaps God himself, although some might be angry with God because of something that's gone on in their life. They're not hostile to the preacher or the church, if you will, if they stray away. Oh, they might be, and some are. It's usually not the case. It's usually just because they made a few wrong turns. They got distracted. And suddenly, they were headed down the wrong road. It happens. Perhaps it's happened to you and you've come back. You found your way back. Many of you could testify to that today. There was a segment in your life where you just kind of made a turn and you just drifted away for the longest of time. Some of you have never done that. You've gone on the road and you're just staying on that path and you've just been there forever. And praise God for that. But praise God for the one that got off the track that got back on the track. But today, I want to say, for those that have gotten off the track, you know one, don't you? You know somebody, I'm sure. There's a way back. I want to encourage us to stay on track. I think it's important. I think it's important for us when we are off track or we stray a little bit, it is important for us to understand that God is more eager to find us than we are to be found by God. We oftentimes, when we get distracted, we want to just blame the other hundreds of people that are going the wrong way. It couldn't be me that's made the wrong turn. After all, we are the children of God and God seeks out His children. He teaches that in, His, in the Word of God. Even though there's nine, there's a hundred, and all of them are there, but one, he seeks out the one. Is he seeking you out today in your spirit? I pray that that is the case. There's a story. We're going to go to the Old Testament today. We're going to look at a, a, a familiar um, a man in the Old Testament, a familiar story, but hopefully point out a few things that will help us to stay on track. 
Let's see what we can find out in Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible, of course. Things seem to be going pretty good, and here is a man called Abraham, or Abram at this time. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and following, it says that the Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you into uh, your, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Can I hear an amen? amen? Notice in verse number 2, and I say this often, but it is true, and so you must teach the truth. And the truth is, there's two blessings. One is for you, and one is for others. When you follow God's directions, when we follow God's directions, there's a reason that God blesses us because we are on the right track. When we're on the right track, blessings will come into your life. Give me an amen. But blessings come to you so that you might also be a blessing to others, even those that may be off the track of life. Oftentimes, Christians are blessed. I see this often in my life. I tried to learn this many, many years ago, and sometimes I do pretty good at it, and other times I just let it slide by and kind of forget about it. God has to remind me as well. But oftentimes Christians are blessed by God in a powerful way. It may be something that they've been praying over, maybe a health problem, that God is just blessed. You got to return, and, and it was good. Everything was good, and you were just like, oh, you couldn't wait to tell everyone about it. I'm thrilled that God has answered our prayer on our behalf. Maybe a financial breakthrough. Maybe you got that job that you really prayed for, you really desired, and you got that promotion, and boy, things look really, really good. It could be all kinds of things, good health reports, whatever it might be in our lives. But in the process of that, oftentimes we fail to bless others. And what I want to encourage us today is that when you know that you have been blessed by God, please understand that God calls you to be a blessing to someone else. So here's the question, how do you bless others? How do you bless others when God blesses you? Have you ever thought about it? Do you just receive the blessing from God and say, yippee, God is great, now it's all mine? Or do you simply say, God has blessed me so much, I have got to share this good news with somebody. Is someone missing out on a God blessing because of you is a question I might have. Many times it's, we miss out on that because we focus on ourselves. Forgetting that God may have blessed us in order that we might be a blessing. Someone came to me one time in my office, or on many occasions they've asked me these things, and or they've come to me and said, man, thank you so much for prayers, and this has happened in my life, and I just, I just want to tell you how good God is. And I say, you believe God made you, gave you a blessing? And their answer was, Absolutely. And I asked the question, have you been a blessing to anyone else because of the blessing God has given you? What are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Well, have you sought to bless someone? See, if you ask God in the blessing that you receive, if you ask God, help me see something that I can be a blessing to someone else, things begin to change in your life. Your attitude begins to change in life. You now re even receive more. God teaches you in His Word. You want to receive more? Give more. It just works. Well, I don't know. I'm just not sure. I'm, I'm just, how much money you put in the stock market? You trust that it's going to pay you more, don't you? How much more can God be proven truthful 
when he says give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run over into your lap. See if I won't open the floodgates of heaven for you. Time, energy, money, as Stan mentioned earlier, how we give. So I'll often tell people, perhaps, it's maybe it's a job, it's an increase, it's a, a promotion, and now you're making more money. You were making $15 an hour, now you're making $18 an hour. Have you considered blessing someone, writing a check to someone? Maybe it's a, a single parent struggling. Maybe it's within the church. Maybe it's just somebody at work, somebody that you might know. Could you pay their electric bill for one month? Do you know what that means to a person that's single? A person that's really struggling week to week, month to month? Maybe it's just mowing somebody's lawn and just saying, you know, I just felt like I needed to do it. Maybe it's taking some cookies to somebody. Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's that love that we talked about, Zach and, and Stan talked about in our class today, reaching out and being a blessing to others. God blesses us so we might be a blessing to others. Abraham was go- doing great. Having heard the call of God, he goes on and he packs his belongings and he heads out away from his family. And when he heads out, he's he's blessed. He's hundreds of miles away from this place that he knew as home, his surroundings. And now he's starting off and trying to make this for himself. The first thing that he did was he built an altar to worship. And you can see it there in the next verses there. As you read down through there in those verses 6 through, I guess, uh, maybe 8 or 9. And it talks about there, he says, There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord powerful stuff he heard God's call he followed God's call and he worshiped God do you know that's is precisely what God has called us to do in our lives God is calling us God calls us to do something not nothing he calls us always to do something and when he calls us to do something he asks us then to follow him so we got to hear from God, we got to follow God, and then we need to worship God just like we're doing today and worshiping God and praising Him for all good things. Give me an amen. amen. This journey of His got started off pretty good, but no sooner than He arrived at Canaan until something, a problem, was encountered, no doubt. If you read down, down in the Scriptures, you find out that that problem for Him was a famine. What's your famine? A famine means a drought. It means that you're going out without water or something. But a famine in one's life can be many things. You may be going a famine in your life spiritually speaking. How's your faith level? Is it where it needs to be or is it pretty dry and thirsty? So he approaches this and he has this famine that comes along and he's headed out now and stood it at the land of Canaan. Now he's going to turn his wagons, if you will, and he's going to head toward a place called Egypt. It's interesting. And there as he heads to Egypt, you know what he is? Now, he's followed God, so he has great faith. He's not afraid because he's followed God. Now he's headed to Egypt, and he's headed in the wrong direction, and guess what? He's afraid. When you go in the wrong directions, there's going to be fear in your life. When you're going in the right directions, you're going to have confidence in God. And so now he's headed in the wrong direction and he has fear in his life. How do we know that? Because the next few verses, 10 through, I guess, 13 there, it talks about that. So he tells Sarah, his wife, Sarai, he tells Sarai, he says, now I want you to do this. He said, you're good looking. I mean, you're good looking. You're so good looking that when we go in there, if they find out that you're my wife, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. What was me? They're going to kill me. What, is, what was God's promise to Abram? I'm going to make you this great nation. I'm going to do all these things for you. And now he's cowering down to this Egypt. And he tells his wife, he says, okay, honey, this is what the deal is. You're my sister. And we're going to tell everybody you're my sister. 
because I don't want anybody to hurt me. I don't want to be killed. So what happens? They ask exactly what happens. And it may have been his first experience with a famine. I don't know. Abraham's family was very wealthy, Scripture teaches. But now he's a stranger in a strange land. You ever ever have a strange place, you know, surroundings? You're, You're kind of like, maybe you stayed all night in a motel that you're traveling somewhere, and you've never been in that part. And you pull off and you get in this motel and it's, it's kind of weird. Do you ever feel weird? Do you ever have that weird feeling? Maybe it's not a good term. You're just kind of like, man, who are these people, right? Put three locks on the door, right? Get that bar, stick up under the door and have your wife stand there. No, but you, 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 you do something because of those things in your life. But now he's dealing with his famine. He's a stranger in a strange land. He has livestock. He has people that have gone with him. He's taken with him, and now they all need food. And so the first thing he does, he takes off to Egypt. Our journey, our journey of faith is often like that as well. The moment you make a decision to follow God, you need to know that something's going to come your way. The moment you become a child of God, you become Satan's enemy. And Satan will do everything he can to destroy your relationship with God. Everything. So you have to be real cautious about these things. And you can bet, or you can count on that in that moment that you accept God, these distractions are going to come, these temptations will fall, these pressure points will come in your life. So I have people ask me this question often in counsel. They'll say, does God, this is what I write down, does God deliberately throw obstacles in our way to make our journey difficult. Does God deliberately throw obstacles in our way to make our life difficult? The answer is absolutely not. Now, He may allow obstacles to be put in our way, but they're there for a reason. It's to discipline us so that we might become stronger where God wants us to move to. You see, a lot of people like to just settle where they're at. God wants to take you to a new land. Do you want to go or do you just want to stay? If you want to stay, you're just going to camp out there, aren't you? And that's what a lot of Christians do. They don't want their faith to grow. They just want it to stay there. Because, see, if your faith grows, that means you're moving. And faith is a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not yet seen. So if you want your faith to grow, you haven't seen it yet. You just have faith that it's there. Big difference. In all of this, does God deliberately throw obstacles in our way? The answer is no. Why? Because he doesn't have to. Life gets tough. You get the call. Yep, got to have surgery. Hop, refrigerator blows up. Hop, the car broke down. Hop, the kids got to have braces. Hop, this happens, that happens. Anything go wrong with your family this week? Extended family this week. Something went on. Somebody you knew. Whoa, this happened. And it happens in our lives. It can be little things that we can take care of quickly. The garage door doesn't work, so we call the garage door man. We fix it up pretty good. But I still don't like paying $150 to have it fixed, do you? Because I had plans for that $150. Right? And you were planning to give it to me, right? I know that. I need to pray for your garage door. Here we go. Does God do that? No, he doesn't have to because life just happens. Life's tough enough on its own. I don't have to tell you that. Things happen. But when they do happen, now, here's the thing. 
because we know they're going to happen. When they do happen, it gives us opportunity to come to know God in a better and more profound way, in His love and His mercies and all the other things that God wants to pour upon us. So once we go through our little pity party as woe is me, we can stop and pause. The Overcomer, the movie, will teach that, shows you that. Because there's moments when I have pity parties. Anybody else? Anybody else throw a brick on the ground and say, I can't believe this, God? Anybody else? Nobody wants to admit it? Okay. I do that sometimes. I'm better at it. I hope that I'm much better at it than I used to be. But life gets frustrating sometimes. Anybody? Oh, yeah, okay, very good. Now we're back on track. In his book, An Enemy called Average. It's been hanging on our refrigerator for a couple of months. I really didn't know why. I've read the book several times, but there was a clipping there that my wife had had on the refrigerator. And did you ever see something that was on your refrigerator or something that is there day after day after day after day, and you kind of read a sentence here or there, and the day that you need it or it really fits, you can't find that thing anywhere. It was there for a month. I'm not kidding you, at least a month. Right that right, sweetheart? And, and so I go to look for it. I say, hey, where's that thing on the first? Oh, I don't know. I put it somewhere. What do you mean you put it somewhere? It's been there for a month. Ha-ha. Diligence. We found it. This is what he says in one of his writings, John Mason. The way you look at an obstacle in your life makes all the difference in the world. Christians should look at their obstacles. This is me. Christians should look at their obstacles differently than the world looks at their obstacles. Do you? is the question. He goes on to say, no obstacle will leave you the way it found you. Give me an amen. amen. You will either be better or you will be worse as a result of that confrontation. Give me an amen. amen. It does. Now, but keep in mind this one important factor about obstacles. Here's a good one. You ready for it? Here's the punchline. Every obstacle has a limited lifespan. And most of the things that we go through in life that were so just massive, we can't even remember in a month. They're gone. God allows these things oftentimes so that He can meet us in our circumstance and reveal His character and shape our character. I love that about God. He's still working on me. Remember that song we used to sing? The kids used to sing it. He's still working on me. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You see, we don't whittle God into looking like us, although we try, don't we? Here, God, I'm going to shape you like me. I'm going to do what I want, and then, God, I want you to agree with me. No, 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 no. God whittles on us to make us look more like Him, to prepare us for the future on our journey together. That's what happened here in this story. Back to Abram. When the famine happened, Abram's first opportunity to new land, to trust God. There's no calling on God when the famine hits. It doesn't say that he got down on his knees and he prayed to God and he said, I want you to help me right here, God, because we don't, could God, listen to me, could God just send rain in one little area? Could God open up a rock and get water? Certainly he could. But Abraham forgot something and this opportunity for him 
to be able to display his faith to his family and friends that were with him, he turns and runs. Because it says in verse 10 that the famine was severe. There's more than Abraham just running down to the local grocery store at another county or another town, nearby town, getting those and coming back. There's more than that. Someone once said that Egypt, and I like this statement, listen to it, I don't know who said it. It's a good one, Mike, you need to write it down. Someone once said Egypt in the Old Testament almost always represents a worldly response to a spiritual challenge. I thought about that as I read over that again this week, and that's true, isn't it? There will always be a worldly response to your spiritual challenge in your life. There will always be two sides. When you're trying to grow spiritually, there will always be two sides. There will be a spiritual side and a worldly side. And the worldly side is pulling you in and sucking you in and trying to get you to say, do it this way. Everything's going to be fine because God is love. Everything's great. Follow this way. And before you know it, you can just drift off into the world thinking all along that that's perfectly fine with God. You have to be careful about that. Instead of trusting God to provide, he chose to run to Egypt. Instead of you trusting God to provide, what do you run to? A lot of people run to a bottle. Pills, the drink, the clubs, another woman, a new family. We run from God instead of running to God. That's what happened to us, isn't it? Instead of trusting God where we are in that, we run. Sometimes we run away from God instead of to God. We often seek spiritual results in a worldly place. Thinking that somehow that's going to make me happy. What if I just go down and throw a few bucks down on the, at the track or down at the bingo place or down at the casino? You know, maybe that'll change my luck. Maybe that'll be okay. Yeah. Oh, wow, I won $25. I'm up $25. I won $250. Woohoo! I'm hot. I need to go to Vegas. So we just get deeper. And we get deeper. Touched a nerve for someone, didn't I? We've all done it before. Oh, yes, we have. Even me. Not the casino thing. I've never been in one. I bought a couple of lottery tickets in my life. I won one time. $5. I quit while I was ahead. Good advice. A young man once made a statement. I wrote this down. I have a good stuff file. I go to it once in a while, and sometimes I have no idea why I wrote it down, and I have no idea who asked it. it Maybe a clipping that somebody gives me, and I put it in there, the good stuff file. I might use it someday. A young man once made a statement that I think is really right on target. He said this. He said, we often rely on God, the Holy Spirit, to get us the job. And I thought, aha. And in this case, it was to get us to the land of Canaan. But nonetheless, we rely on the Holy Spirit to get us the job. And then when he does, we simply say, okay, God, I got it from here. Huh? When I'm really in need, I pray to you, God, when I get it. Woohoo! thank you very much. I got it from here, God. I'm good to go. Anybody there? It happens, doesn't it? And what we do is we fail to remember that we need him here as much as we did there. We're pleading to God and we're praising God. So we plead to God, we praise God, we plead to God, we praise God. Sometimes we plead to God and we forget to praise God. 
Remember the blessing? To be a blessing? Who in this room can you bless today? How can you bless that person today? I suppose many of you in this room could do that. Just think, just think for a moment, outside of the box. How can you bless someone this week? Have you thought about it enough? Probably long enough, haven't you? Will you do it is the question. And then praising God for it and see what God does. Even a cup of cold water given in my name will not go unnoticed, God says. A cup of cold water. You ever get real, real thirsty? Guy's out doing some work and your wife brings you a cup of water, ice water. What? Wow, thank you, honey. That was great. Yeah. Doesn't go unnoticed by God. Notice the text here. Abram's, uh, Abram, uh, uh, God never tells, I'll back up. God never tells Abram to go to Egypt. If you remember in verse number one, he said, I will show you. He didn't show him Egypt to go to. Nowhere in scripture does it say he said go. That's where he left the path. That's where he left the trail. That's where he got off course. That's where he followed his own compass, if you will. What happened? Abraham took matters into his own hands. And too often that's what we do. And when we do, we get off track. Take matters into your own hand. Do you ever take matters in your own hand and get caught at it and then you're in trouble, even worse? Like a plumbing problem? You don't want me to fix your plumbing. I'm here to tell you. I mean, it's just a washer. Honey, it's just a washer. Just turn that, put a little rubber washer, turn that back, water shooting everywhere. Have to call the plumber, it's $600, right? And it always happens on a Saturday or a Sunday, and it's triple time right? Taking matters into your own hand. You know what it's called? It's called self-reliance in this case. It's called self-reliance. We are our own map, our own dictionaries. That's what we've become. If we don't like it, we just change it. We just put a word in there that we think, yeah, that's good. We become our own GPS. We become our own guide. So we try to be. That's, what, that's exactly what's happened to our country. Oh boy, he's going to talk about our country. You betcha. You want to know why? Because I love our country. When I raised my right hand, like many of you in this room, and said I would give my life for my country, I would do it again today if they called me today. Okay. We have drifted from the path that God has put us on. There is no doubt. And we have deceived ourselves. We have deceived ourselves. And now all we are trying to do, you know what's happening in our world today? I thought about that. What is happening? It's happening. This is happening. What we're trying to do is to manipulate others into thinking that this will make everything right again. We do it my way, we will be okay. Sounds like a good slogan, doesn't it? We do it my way, we will be okay. Listen to me. And let it be known, righteousness can never be achieved in a worldly approach. I don't care what letter you carry behind your name. It cannot be achieved through a worldly approach. It can only be done through God's guidance, period. Someone said self-reliance, and I like this one. Self-reliance could be the signature sin of the human race. That's powerful. Why? It is because you take God out of the picture. It's all on me. It's all on me to save the world. It's all on me. 
That's what he's called me to do. He's called us to go into the world and teach his righteousness. Only found through Jesus Christ. Give me an amen. All right. So what happens next? The sin of Abraham committed uh, there is taking matters into his own hand. Did what? Just like it does for us. It cost others greatly. Do you know that? You don't know that? Well, look at verses 17 and following. Verse 17 through 20. Read it there for yourself. What happens? Disease comes upon Egypt. And so Pharaoh calls in Abram, and he basically says, Dude, what have you done to me? Why did you tell me this was your sister when you knew it was your wife? You get her. You get your stuff. You get out of Dodge. He exploited his wife. He caused a disease to come upon a land. He now has an enemy, and worst of all, in all of this, he leaves in disgrace, and he dishonors the name of the Lord. He is supposed to leave a good taste wherever he goes, just like us. He's supposed to display God's love wherever he goes, and the first thing he does when he goes into a land that doesn't know God, he lies. Yay. Doesn't work too good. So in all of that, that's the big one. He knew who, who, he knew who he represented, and he blew it big time. Now we can go home and eat. If, I, if we just stopped there, you would think, well, God, man, life is terrible. I mean, he told us how bad we are and where we're going, and it's just horrible. Well, here's the good news, because there's always good news found in God. Give me an amen. Now watch the good news. The good news is this. Let me back up. In stories that you read in the Bible about people that turn from God, read them closely, whether it's Abraham or Peter, for instance. Read the stories closely and look for a very important thing, which is their turnaround, their way out, their way through, their way back to God. Because in every one of them, that's what you're going to find, an opportunity to get back to God. That's the good news. Give me an amen. God wants you to know that there is a way back today. God wants you to know that He wants to love you all the way back, no matter how big you have blown it in your life. And some of us have done that greatly. When you get off course, you become your own compass, your own dictionary, your own guide, your own direction giver. And you get lost. But remember this, come to your senses, prodigal son, come to your senses, and remember, God is still God. God is still God. God is still God. God is still God. Listen, they're listening to this live somewhere, so God is still God. All right, finally got it out of you. Great. Now, in that, in all of that, you got to remember that God is still God. He's a God that welcomes back. He's a God that restores. He's a God that will forgive. He's a God that does all these things for us. So Abram made a mess of things, but the journey doesn't have to end in the mess. Your journey doesn't have to stop in your mess either. That's good news. Give me an Amen. Look what happened in the next chapter. Real quick, chapter 13, verse number 1. So Abram went up to the Egypt, from Egypt to the Negev. Why is that important? 
he's headed in the right direction. He's no longer lost on the freeway, headed in the wrong direction. He's turned around. He's headed in the right place. He didn't take apartment. This is what happens. Watch, real close. Make one more point. He didn't take an apartment at the edge of town and try to blend in with everybody else. No. He headed out of there. Got away from what he knew was wrong in the first place. Listen, oftentimes when Christians get off track and fail in their faith, they just try to blend in into the world. Just try to blend in. That's why when you see them at Walmart in an aisle, they'll go to the next aisle. They just want to blend in. Go to the next aisle. They want to just blend in. You see, that's what happens when we fall into sin. And if you find in yourself, even at this moment, if you're trying to blend into the world, just kind of be like that, then you're drifting in the wrong direction. Abraham didn't do that. In verse number 3, notice what happens. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. Watch what he does. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. We don't hear it one, one time before this. But he gets to the altar and he calls to the Lord. It took a while, but he finally got there. Eventually he made his way back. There he called on the Lord. Do you, do you, can you, it doesn't say what he said. This is all it says. It means he was talking to God, saying something to God. What do you suppose that prayer was like? What do you suppose that he would say? What would you say? What have you said? What do you need to say? I believe it was something like this. Oh, Lord, I have made a mess of my life because I didn't follow your lead. And because of the mess that I made, I have hurt a lot of people. And most importantly, I've hurt you. Please forgive me, God. The wonderful thing about this journey that we are on is that we can never wander beyond the reach of God. There's always a way back to the path, track. It's a way of repentance, the Scripture teaches of. Confessing our sins and our mistakes before God and receiving God's forgiveness and setting out again on the right track by staying on track, the path that God has set for us. With God, failure is never final, praise God. No sin is uncurable. The only sin that is unforgivable is the blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which simply means they say there is no God. Why is that? is because if you say there is no God, you have no hope. But there is a God, and you have hope. Because God can reach you wherever and to whatever depth that you have fallen. Jesus paid for our sins. Not some of them, but all of them. And He loves us. Confess them. Confess your sins. It's one of the biggest struggles we have in the body of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. We just don't confess our sins enough. We cover them with a quick prayer by saying, God, forgive me all my sins. We need to confess our sins before a forgiving God. 
and watch what he does with us. Watch what he does with your life and watch how he pulls you back on track and watch how he takes you to places you've never been before in your spiritual walk with him. Maybe today that's what you need. We'll gladly pray with you. We are not here to judge anyone. We are called to love each other. And that's what we're going to do. If you have a prayer request, come. We'll pray with you. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, come today. Allow yourself to repent of your sins and just simply claim Him as the Lord of your life. If you've never received baptism, the waters are ready. Receive that. And with the forgiveness given, a newness has come. The Holy Spirit will live in you forever. God bless you. Whatever your decision is, you come as together we stand and sing.